0: Well, good morning listeners and welcome to Come and See Inspirations on this, the second Sunday in Advent, it's the 5th of December. My name is John Keeley and I'm going to present the podcast again today, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. Good
1: morning, John. How are we doing? Good,
0: thanks, Shane. And of course, as usual, we want to welcome our listeners who are housebound and lonely and struggling uh, in some way today, especially these days when people are fearful of COVID and all that sort of stuff that's going on these days. And we want to especially thank those listeners who support us each week in prayer. Thank you so much indeed for that. Our weekly podcast that includes uh, interviews and and chat and faith topics, inspirational music, and reflecting on the Sunday gospel. All of our podcasts can be heard at come and see inspirations at just Google Com inspirations, and you find us there. And also uh, some of the historical ones on sacredspace one two. You can also be found on Spotify, iTunes, and of course on our Facebook page Come and see Inspirations. You can contact us and please do by texting us on 087 6088 667. That's 087 6088 667 or email come and see inspirations at gmail.com. Or one word come and see inspirations at gmail.com Now Shane, if you got something to share with us this week in terms of notices and maybe saints,
1: please. Sure. So, um, so, as John said, we are in the second week of Advent this week. And looking at the liturgical calendar, we are uh, saints this week. they are interesting ones. Uh, but, of course, always during Advent, the saints kind of slightly have to take a, a back step, which is a pity because there's some nice saints on this week's calendar. So the first one is very much... Um, a saint we all know, although we don't know him under his proper title. So December the 6th is the Feast of St. Nicholas. Uh, Nicholas is the patron saint of Russia, of sailors, of pawnbrokers bro- and children. And it is the solemnity, the, the patronal solemnity of the city of Galway, because the Cathedral of Galway um, is, is dedicated to St. Nicholas. And of course, the interesting thing, of course, about St. Nicholas is... We all know him as Santa Claus, very much associated with Biri. Uh, Barry in, in, in southern Italy, where his relics are, or his remains or his grave is. He was a 4th century Bishop of Myra in modern day Turkey. And we know very little about him for certain. We, there's only the, the traditions associated with him helping um, families uh, by providing dowries for, for their daughters so that they didn't end up in prostitution. Um, and, of, and, and from that is the idea of the giving of the gifts which we associate with Saint Nicholas and Santa Claus. Uh, obviously, as people know, the Santa Claus of modern day um, understanding is an, is an invention of the Coca-Cola company to a large extent. Uh, Tuesday the 7th um, is the feast day of Saint Ambrose, doctor and bishop, bishop and doctor of the church. St. Ambrose died in 397 and he's very much associated with the city of Milan. Uh, in 374, the laity insisted on him becoming the bishop, even though he was still not even baptized at the time. Very much involved or associated or understood from a historical, historical sense as an excellent preacher, a writer whose writing still come down to us to the present day. And very much um, also a man who didn't pull his punches when it came to chastising the political leadership of his time when they had done something wrong. He um, is the patron saint of Milan, and still and his remains, his relics, basically his bones, are to be seen in the crypt of the Basilica in Milan to the present day. He is also patron saint of beekeepers and those and domestic animals. Uh, beekeepers, it comes from being golden toned and honey flowing from his lips. So that's the, the tradition there. Uh, also, suppose was very much associated in Milan with what's called the Ambrosian Rite. So this is a particular way of celebrating the liturgy, which is uh, said to come from his time as the Bishop of Milan. And it is slightly different. There are certain things, probably things only liturgical nerds like myself would notice in how they celebrate Mass, Uh, In particular, which are slightly different to how we would do it, saying your normal parishes in West Limerick, but there is the Ambrosian Rite, very much associated as well with the Archdiocese of Milan. Fine. uh, Moving on. Wednesday, of course, is the eighth of uh, December, and of course, it is the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which, of course, is marking. Uh, following on, I suppose, the the proclamation of the dogma of Mary's Immaculate Conception, which was proclamated by Pope Pius IX in 1854. And the dogma, or the the decree, you know, puts it very succinctly. It says, from the first moment of her conception, the Blessed Virgin Mary was by the singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and in the view of the merits of Jesus Christ, Saviour of mankind, kept free from all stain of original sin. Um, it was very much, I suppose, the tradition as there was a the feast of the conception of Mary in the Eastern Church, which was from the 7th century and derived its tradition from the Proto of St. James, um, but, uh, and, but very much, of course, associated and linked very much to the tradition and the belief of the Church, which was acknowledged at the Council of Ephesus in the 400s, where Mary is the mother of God, Theotokos, she is God-bearer, and obviously what comes and flows from that responsibility due to her grace, I will, or I accept, or I I am the handmaid of the Lord. Also to note this year, the 8th of December is the end of the special year of of St. Joseph, which was proclaimed by Pope Francis to mark the 150th anniversary of the declaration of St. Joseph as the patron of the Universal Church, and it ends on the 8th of December uh, into this year as well. Friday the 9th is the feast day of St. Juan Diego, um, the seer of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So uh, he was the man that saw the vision of Our Lady in December 1531 in Guadalupe. And, um, and, And so we celebrate his feast day on the 9th of December. On the 10th of December, we celebrate a feast which has been introduced to the Universal Church by Pope Francis II, or Pope Francis, I should say, apologies, so Pope Francis introduced the feast of Our Lady of Loretto and elevated it up to a memorial for the universal church a couple of years ago. So very much associated with Our Lady in Loretto, and uh, Loreto or uh, it's uh, Loretto, is a hill town uh, on the Adriatic coast on the east coast of Italy. And in 2019, the, the optional memorial was added by by decree of the Pope, and it's the idea is that it would help people, especially families, youth, and religious to imitate the virtues of that perfect disciple of the gospel, the Virgin Mary. Loretto has been a place of pilgrimage for many, many centuries because by tradition, the Holy House of Mary is at Loreto, which where tradition holds, that is the actual house from Nazareth where the angel Gabriel visited Mary to tell her of the incarnation. It's a hugely traditional shrine in a um, beloved shrine in Italy. It's been visited by many of the popes um, and um, It's one of the most popular Marian shrines on the peninsula. Um, So that's the the memorial that we celebrate on the 10th of December, Our Lady of Loreto. Then finally, on Saturday, the the 11th of December, we celebrate the Feast of St. Damasus, who was one of the popes. He died in 384 on the 11th of December. He had been elected pope in 366 and very much uh, insisted on the apostolic foundations of the See of Rome. Um, and opposed a lot of the centuries of the 4th century heresies of the time. And he's famous as well because it was him that commissioned St. Jerome to write the Vulgate, the Latin version of the Bible, which was the predominant version of the Bible used by the Catholic Church, right down almost to the 20th century. So that's what we have, John, in terms of this week's um, Celestial Guides and Liturgical Odds and Ends. And just a reminder to those praying the Psalter, we're
0: using week. Shane, thank you very much, Nate, for sharing those with us this morning. So for our prayer space this week, the prayer we'll use will be the prayer for the year of St. Joseph uh, by Pope Francis. Of course, this year finishes on the 8th of December next, as Shane just reminded us. Hail, guardian of the Redeemer, spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary. To you, God entrusted his only son, in you Mary placed place to trust. With you Christ became man. Blessed St. Joseph, to us too show yourself a father and guide us in the path of life. Obtain for us grace, mercy and courage and defend us from every evil. Amen. So with that we'll go for our first bit of music this morning and this is from the choir of St. John's College in Cambridge. This one is entitled creator of the stars. Come back and join us in part two. So welcome back again to the second part of our podcast here and come and see inspirations today. Thanks again indeed for joining us. Shane is still still with me. And today we're delighted to welcome onto our podcast this morning Sharon Colopy, who's joining us. Um, joining us actually, it's not for the first time, but Sharon, you're welcome and thanks indeed for joining us. Thank you
2: very much, John, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you and Shane today.
0: You back in March 2020, you shared with us some reflections on the 10th, 11th, and 12th stations of the cross. And um, by the way, listeners, these are still available to be heard uh, on our podcast, which is come and see com. Just Google come and see inspirations and you'll find us there. But, Sean, just going back again and do a little bit of research on yourself, I found that you've been pretty busy enjoying and sharing your faith. Uh, before we get on to some of the recent projects you've become involved with, would we'll share with us a little bit about your faith background, please? I'd be delighted to, John.
2: Um, yeah, I suppose just to begin at the very beginning, um, I was raised within the Catholic faith. Um, and I suppose up until probably the end of secondary school, I was still quite active within my faith. But then after that, in all honesty, I began to journey through what I often call a faith wilderness, you know, I was moving into my late teens, early 20s, and I got busy with life. I got busy with all, you know, the the, the, the joys of growing up and finding myself and going into relationships and friendship groups and materialism, um, image, identity, all of that stuff, that all happened. And um, other than, I suppose, observing Sunday Mass and attending Mass at special occasions, Christmas, Easter and the like, I really had lost my way, to be honest with you. Um, It was around the time I hit 30. And I suppose I had all of the trappings of a life well lived at that stage. um, At least on the outside looking in. But on the inside, I was beginning to feel very lost and very unfulfilled. And I often refer to that time as my time of divine discontent. At the time, it didn't feel very divine. It just felt like I was very discontented, very lost, very unfulfilled. Um, So I began to, you know, I was always a deep thinker. I was always a sensitive person. I was always a lover of nature. I always had a deep kindness and a gentleness. But I suppose I was trying to fit into the world around me. Um, so between 30 and 35, I suppose, I started to return to my faith more and more, just by going to Mass more and more, showing up more and more. But it wasn't until I was about 35, I was at the Mass, the funeral Mass of my aunt, and I was um, chosen to read at that Mass. Um, and it was the parish priest in my local parish at the time, approached me afterwards and asked would I become a regular reader, a minister of the word. I said yes, because I was I couldn't say no. It was the last thing I wanted to do, because the idea of having to stand up maybe every Sunday and do this again and again terrified me, because I was quiet and I was shy, and speaking out in public wasn't something that was very comfortable for me back then. Um, but anyway, I said yes, and I started to show up. And if I'm being very honest, I'd say for the first two years or so of reading the word regularly at math, it was all about me. It was all about my performance. It was all about speaking without making a mistake. It was all about that. And to be honest, I don't even think I was taking too much notice of the word that I was reading. Before I continue with that, though, Let me just uh, backtrack a little bit to say, I think it's important to note here that on that day when I was asked to become a regular reader of the Word, that was a pivotal moment for me because at that time there was an incredible warm welcome and there was an invitation into something which really touched on this deep need to belong that had been void within me for so long also I suppose it's important to note that this this parish priest at the time I think saw something in me that I wasn't able to see in myself back then I think it's important to say that as well but as I said I showed up and I started to begin to read regularly and it was about performance at the beginning but after a couple of years I'd say um, it began to change and the words began to change me. And all of a sudden, the words I was reading, I was beginning to take more notice of and wonder about and ask questions about and explore and reflect on. So the word began to change me and encouraged me then to say yes. So from that time then, I was being invited and I suppose to become part of something greater. And I had the courage now, all of a sudden, to say yes to it. And the first step was the Synod. The the Synodal journey, which I was a part of. Um, And I journeyed with, uh, I think it was like 350 people altogether, from all walks of life, maybe more, over 18 months. And again, this experience, this journeying together, listening to other people's stories and points of view and perspectives, further transformed who, who I was and who I was becoming. And again, from the synage, it led into lots of different areas that I know we're going to discuss now in a moment. So my faith journey was I started out born into faith, schooled in faith, sacramental faith. Then there was faith wilderness, lost, searching. But someone noticed, someone welcomed me and invited me. And somehow I had the courage to say yes. And the world began to change me, and
0: that's brought me to where I am today. That's some beautiful journey. Just for, just forwarding on from that, um, one of the projects, and we we just mentioned at the start of the of, the, of our chat together, you're involved in quite a few projects, but one of the projects you've become involved with has been coordinating the Limerick with Love fundraising event for Trocaerusha. Tell us all about that.
2: Well. I became a volunteer for Trocra, I suppose, about two years ago. And I suppose one thing I will say is that, you know, I'm very much about active participation. So when um, I I wanted to become part of charity, I wanted to do some charitable work. And I landed upon Trocra, I suppose, because it's, you know, the official charity of the Catholic Church. So it was a good fit. Um, but I really was determined that if I was going to be um, a volunteer and I was going to sign up to be such, such, that I was going to be active, that I was going to, it wasn't just a box ticking exercise doing a little bit here and there, that I was going Mm -hmm. to try and evoke real change and try and gather people together, you know, and really create an energy and a a dynamic energy behind it. So um, for a couple of years, I was just doing some work with them around Lent um, and then during Advent, the gifts of love, the Christmas wow. appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been doing that for a couple of years. And then COVID came and then changed um, how we did things.
0: Mm-hmm. And it meant
2: that there was a lot that we couldn't do all of a sudden. So mm-hmm. I suppose back in February this year, 2021, um, we had our Troqua meeting planning for Lent. And I suppose at that meeting, inspired by the testimony from volunteers all over the country i began to think about okay what can we do for lunch you know we were in a lockdown people were isolating people were lonely people were searching for a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose and meaning so i suppose there was just this divine inspiration that you know i've been doing a lot of walking I'm, I'm i like to keep fit i like to get out and i like to walk um We'd been doing it within a two kilometre radius, a five kilometre radius, and then it started to exchange. I think by then it probably had extended to 20 kilometres or something, or maybe 10. Anyway, so I was just inspired to kind of go, OK, what can we do? So the focus of uh, this lengthen, this year's lengthen campaign was South Sudan. So I thought to myself, OK, I wonder what the distance is between Limerick and South Sudan. And it was like six and a half thousand kilometers approximately. So I thought, OK, I'd never cover that distance myself over Lynch, You know, i was thinking of the 40 days. I thought, OK, let me try and reach out to some people and see if I could try and, you know, tick a few boxes here. If I could, you know, raise some funds through Lynch, If I could gather some people together. If I could create a sense of community. Where people felt like they were together, apart. That there was there was this commonality. Um, so do you know what? I'm privileged to say that I have become friends um, with the most wonderful people at both parish and diocesan level, and also in Trokra. That once I actually, you know, um, suggested creating something around let's walk together from Limerick to South Sudan. Trokra's logo being unto Love Conquers Fear. So the idea of from Limerick with love. So it, it grew legs then, John, because I had people, as I said, in the parish and the diocese, Nat Trochra, who really supported me in getting it off the ground. And what I considered might be me and a few more people I knew walking over the six weeks, 40 days of Lent, maybe yeah. hoping to achieve the 6,500 kilometres Maybe raising, I didn't know what we'd raise, but I think I set it at something like 3,000 euro in the hope that we might get there. Ended up in being um, 93 people from all over Ireland and beyond who took part in the campaign. We raised, I think, almost 7,500 euro, and we'd walked so many kilometres that we actually got to South Sudan, but we also got back to Limbaugh. So we got there and we got back, but it was wonderful because, you know, during this time of lockdown, you know, it gave people, and me included, it gave me and everyone a sense of community, a sense, sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, um, and, and really doing something really, really worthwhile. you know. And I was delighted then that at the end of it, we created a little video um, of images from all the different participants in all the different places. And this video was going to be shown, shown to the families who featured on the Troca boxes mm-hmm. here, you know, so it was incredible.
0: You know, that just reminds me of the, of the gospel message, you know, that the, the little we give, if we give it to the Lord, you see what he does with it, just multiplies it out. Well done for that idea. So that's one of the projects. Now, you just mentioned the word video there, and you, 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 you have created a series of videos around the godly play approach to religious storytelling. That's, can you tell us a bit about the godly play idea? What's that all about?
2: when you asked me the first question about my faith journey, I mentioned the synod. And um, from that synod, synodal, synodal process, I did some training in youth ministry. Um, and from that training in youth ministry, I was then invited to participate in something called Godly Play. I'd never heard of Godly Play, I just liked the sound of it. Plus, I was being invited again. So I trusted the invitation. So there was a three-day core training in St. Patrick's College in Curlis in June 2018. And those three days just blew my mind. Because, as I said, I sat there as a, I don't mind saying my age, a 47-year-old woman at the time. I wasn't a child. But I became a little girl again as I sat there and listened and and experienced and became part of the stories. And I just began to imagine, oh, my goodness, the value of becoming a godly play storyteller and being able to sit in a circle on the ground and sharing these stories with children in a way that really helps them explore their faith through story, in a way that helps them to develop a religious language, I suppose. And also, I think what what was really beautiful about it was that the whole approach of godly play is very much based on story, on wonder, on imagination. And it's not that we're trying to use a transfer model where we're trying to transfer information into the children. It's more that the Holy Spirit is very alive and very active within a child. And there's a very strong sacramental imagination already happening there. But the whole Godly play process allows them the space within which it's built on a relationship of trust and intimacy. And they're invited to imagine and to wonder without judgment, without being right or wrong. And it was the most incredible experience. So since my core training I have developed godly play at a parish level and at a diocesan level, but honestly, COVID really interrupted it, its momentum. You know, I was starting to bring it to schools by way of sacramental preparation. Um, Then COVID came, that was a no-go area then for a while. So last year, because I couldn't go to schools, we decided to film the Advent story. And um, I made a series of four videos and it was literally made downstairs in my living room in front of the Christmas tree on my husband's phone. That was it. And I submitted them to um, an incredible friend and supporter of mine, Rose O'Connor, in the diocesan office. And she got them uploaded on the diocesan website. So there was, a, like you mentioned, Zoom earlier been a wonderful medium for people to connect in a way that they may never have done before. I found that these godly play Advent videos had a greater outreach than I could have even imagined. So yes, the essence of godly play is to be in a space, sitting on the floor, in a circle, with children or with teenagers or with adults, it has many applications but when we can't do that, there was another way, the spirit inspired us with another way and that will, that was the Advent videos last year
0: I took a look at them, they're beautiful you, but you also um, you've you also done the story of creation to coincide with the season of creation tell us a little bit about that please did
2: yeah again it was just to you know avail of the opportunity tying in with the church year you know um and just to provide an alternative way of understanding the creation story you know the godly k um season of creation video was filmed in a, a local community center and um, it was a a lovely space in which to tell the story. But I suppose it's important you're giving me the the space now to expand upon what Godly Play is by means of you tell the story not through words only, but visually through a set of materials. You know, and in the season of creation story, we have a set of I feel like kind of boards which de- depict each stage of the story. And as a storyteller, you become so deeply invested in the story. And the word, the language of it, begins to really, I suppose, land deep in your heart. And you know, not it's not, as I said, not just the word, it's not just the visual, but it's the way the story is told. That I, in my experience, whether it's been in person or via Zoom or via videos and getting feedback afterwards, people often feel like they're beginning to understand the story in a way that they never understood it before. Even though it's really simple, you know, or economical with words, but the pace, the rhythm, the visual, it just brings the story to life. For people. I think people really felt that with the creation story when we got to do that um, earlier. I think that was probably late last year, actually. So you're losing track of time now. COVID and time is everything. You know, yeah.
0: You've certainly had an awful lot of invitations, should we say. And one of the invitations in more recent times as you're becoming involved with the lay pastoral ministry program. Can you tell us a little bit about your involvement with that?
2: Yes, yes, yes. Um, I often joke and say, I think I prayed it into existence, really. Um, Now, I don't take credit for its formation at all. But what I mean by that is, um, I've been actively involved in parish for a good number of years now. And um, I think I had a deep longing within me to have some form of formation, though, because even though I had a Incredible energy and enthusiasm to be part of different ministries within the parish and the diocese. I didn't know whether I had the the skill set, you know, the deep theological reflection, spiritual development, personal development. So, for I suppose, look, we I think we have it innately, but maybe these programs give us the confidence, do you know? So, Um. when I heard about this formation programme possibly be coming into existence, I was delighted and thrilled. I I didn't know whether I was eligible, but I was invited to apply and I did. And from the very first information evening, I was absolutely sold. I wanted to be there and I wanted to do it. So um, again, our formation programme was interrupted by COVID. We started in person. We had six months of um, a discerning phase where both each of the participants and those people leading the programme used these six months to work out whether we're a good fit, you know, whether now was the right time. So we had those kind of um, we had two or three sessions of the first six months in person and then COVID came again. And I promise I'm not going to mention COVID no more because there's enough COVID okay. to COVID. But it did happen. So then we had, to, we had to take a little bit of a break for a while. But then we decided to try it via Zoom, move it online. So we finished our discernment online and we began year one of the actual programme online. Um, it's been phenomenal, John, to be honest with you. Everything I hoped it would be, it has been and more. Um we began by really beginning to understand what pastoral ministry and theology was all about. There was a huge emphasis on the personal development of the person, you know, what they were bringing to the table. So we went right back into the family of origin and all of that stuff. We also looked at the Bible and it tr- kind of deepened our understanding of the stories, um, spiritual development, all of that. So all of that happened year one. Um, we're already in year two we started year two in September we're still online we're still meeting via Zoom we were hoping to be back in person by now, that hasn't happened yet but hopefully someday soon and this year it's very much about theological reflection but also as well and, and liturgy sacramental, all of that but this semester also we were invited to create a Pastoral placement of choice. Some form of ministry within our own parish, maybe or our own community. And the only prerequisite was it would be 20 hours between September and December of ministry within within parish or community. So within that realm, I had, I decided that I, I had three objectives, really. I really, I have a real passion around prayer and what mm-hmm. prayer can mean and what prayer can be and I really believe prayer can be a many varied thing you know um, and I really wanted to try and share with others what my experience of prayer has been over the last few years I also I I hoped to create a group again this whole idea of creating community bringing a group of people together I'm very passionate about community you know Um, So bringing a group of people together. And I suppose the third objective of my placement was to become more comfortable in that realm of facilitation, you know. Um, So the programme, it was a five-week programme on on prayer and different ways to come together creatively as a prayer group. Um, And that programme has been completed now. I finished week five last week and it's been the most incredible journey. And it's really brought to life some of the the learnings and the experiences I've had through the, the actual formation program I've really been able to take that now and transfer it somewhat into parish and um, I do think that we have the, the genesis of a little kind of a faith prayer community there now and um, God God only knows where it's going to go next but um, I, I do believe it's going to go somewhere beautiful um, so yeah so I mean, the prayer program or the pastoral leadership program has been absolutely the most incredible experience of my life. And I don't want to say that lightly. And it's had so many applications, not just in my role in a pastoral ministerial sense, but just in my life generally. It's like the word began to change me a number of years back. It continues to do so. And all I had to do is keep showing up and saying yes. And it leads me. It really, really leads me, you know. So I couldn't, hire, I couldn't recommend the formation program enough. It's been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal.
0: Sharon, th- thanks a lot indeed for sharing that with us. Um, I know you've just completed the first five week program. When I say first, I'm preempting. Are you going to have a second program next year?
2: Maybe. I think so, Chan. I do. I think so. Um, as I said, we've just finished. So I'm just going to let everything settle a little bit, you know. I want to kind of sit and just kind of reflect upon, you know, how how did it go, what worked well, what didn't go so well, and get some feedback from the participants who thankfully journeyed with me through the whole five weeks. And um, together, I think we might discern, OK, where can we take this next, you know? I think I'll continue to offer it in its current format to anyone within the parish or wider community or the diocese or anyone actually who invites me to. I think I'll I'll continue to offer it, but I'd like to develop it too. You know, I'd like to say, okay, where are there obvious gaps? You know, where people really have this, um, this sense of searching, seeking something greater in their lives as I did a number of years ago. But for whatever reason, for them, going to Mass, going into the church, isn't the way or the place for them. Maybe not now, maybe not ever. That we provide an alternative, another way of coming together, which is absolutely led by the Spirit, which absolutely aligns with Christian faith tradition. But that it's just a different way of coming together in community. So, yeah, definitely I'm going to run them again in the new year, in the current format. But I'm hoping to just allow it to just breathe, you know, and uh, see what spirit leads us. Really, with the show, you know, I think there's an incredible opportunity, uh, but but more importantly, an incredible need. I, I people are lost, people are seeking, and they're not sure where to go to find is it answers I'm not even
0: sure if it's answers but you know so definitely yes Sharon thanks so much for that I mean the the image that comes to me at the moment actually is of God speaking to John the Baptist in the wilderness and there you were in the wilderness many many years ago and you got that invite that didn't write it was just one of those occasions Well, you read you know and you never know You didn't know where that was going to lead to this present moment. Such a lesson for us all to just give it a go. Just trust. Do the best you can. That's all you can do. Maybe don't overextend yourself. Don't worry about it. But you stuck with it for a few years. I know you said that when you were reading there, you weren't sure what this was all about. It was more or or less you were concerned about your pronunciation and presentation and all that sort of stuff. But that's all part of everybody's story. but but you ended up to where you are now because you kept on accepting that invitation. The only thing I can say, Sean, I hope you get many more invitations because I'm sure there's lots of stuff in there that the Lord is willing, uh, that that, that wants people like yourself to come, to come forward with and and to encourage us, to give us all hope as we try as best we can to live out the faith that we are these days. Thanks a lot for coming on, Sean. You might come on again sometime, please. It would be my honour and privilege, John. And I will
2: be hoping and waiting for the invitation. Thank you very much.
0: Now, in the meantime, there's a piece of music that I asked you to choose. A beautiful piece of music. Would you mind sharing that with us, please? And maybe why?
2: Um, Well, I've always loved it. Um, it, the, The piece of music is How Great Thou Art. I've always loved that. Always, always, always. But the version I actually shared with you is by the most amazing singer, Lauren Daigle. She has incredible faith. And all of her music is very inspirational and inspiring. And But this particular piece, she is actually collaborating um, with another um, group and their name escapes me in this moment, but that doesn't matter so much. What matters is they're in a large venue, where there's thousands, I would say, at least a few thousand people. And within this version of this song, hymn that we're all familiar with, you hear all the voices coming together. Hers is a very beautiful voice, but there's space for all the voices to come together. And it just, oh, my, it, my soul dances every time I hear it. And I listen to it often, you know, and it has the same effect on me every time. So I really, truly hope it has the same effect on all of your listeners, and I hope they enjoy it. So it's How Great Thou Art by Lauren
0: Deep. Shane Cullaby, enjoy the rest of your Advent and, and a happy and enjoyable Christmas from us all here on Come and see Inspirations. Take care. God bless now.
2: Thank you, John. Thanks, Shane. Oh, Lord my God when
3: I in awesome wonder consider all the world Thy hand hath made, I see the stars. I bye Shall come with shout of acclamation, then lead me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall.
0: Welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Kill, still joined by Shane. And in this part of the program is we read and reflect on the Word of God, the Sunday Gospel. Before that, we'll invite Shane to pray this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane.
1: Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this Word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. When at our eyes we close and our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this Father, in union Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
0: So the Gospel for today, for the second Sunday of Advent, is taken from the Gospel of Luke. In the fifteenth year of Tiberius Caesar's reign, uh, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the lands of Iteria and Trachonitis, Lysanias, tetrarch of Albini, during the pontificate of Annas and Caiaphas, And the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went through the whole Jordan district proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the the sayings of the prophet Isaiah. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare a way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley will be filled in. Every mountain will be laid low. Winding ways will be straightened. And rough roads made smooth. And all mankind shall see the salvation of God. So there's the Gospel for today, the second Sunday in Advent. Shane, would you like to share the thought with us, please? Um, in terms of it, I suppose, we're looking at the Gospel.
1: We've been introduced to one of the big characters of Advent. So Advent has a number of individuals that we very much spend time with during the four weeks of preparation for Christmas. We have Isaiah, sometimes Jeremiah. We have Mary, and we have John the Baptist. And this week, we are being introduced to John in the Gospel of Luke. And it's an interesting one, um, because John fulfills a very particular role john is the bridge between the old testament and the new testament he's the last linkage to the prophetic tradition uh, of the old testament um now obviously that's very much a christian understanding of it to be fair uh you know that's john isn't seen as a prophet by those of the jewish faith but from a christian point of view our understanding is that John is the last of the prophets uh, before the arrival of Jesus into his public ministry. And it's very much, I suppose, um, a turning point. It's a hinge moment in history. And that's the term, actually, that William Barclay, the great scripture scholar, uses to describe uh, the piece of Luke's gospel that we heard this week Um It's very much a hinge in human history. We hear all of these names. We hear, you know, Herod, Anais, Caiaphas, Augustus, and very much Luke is situating his gospel, his account in human story, in in our human history. So there's a couple of things there to kind of unpack. I suppose, first of all, dealing with Luke's account, it's very much a reminder to us that the events of the incarnation and the events of Christ's life are about a real human being. And it's an important thing, that I suppose sometimes that we can overlook, that we have to remind ourselves that Jesus was both human and divine, or is human and divine, sorry, is where I should say it, sorry, um, and that his human experience in human history was situated in a particular time and a particular place. And Luke is trying to situate that by giving us all of these examples and uses four or five different ways to say, when this event was happening, this is what happened. When this event was happening, Jesus was around. Um, And it's something for us sometimes to think about because there is a tendency, you know, almost to overlook that side of it when we talk about the gospel stories and the accounts that they present to us. But then we come to John. And John is, John is one of the, you know, he's the, he's the herald. He's the, the messenger that's coming in advance, fulfilling the scripture of Isaiah, proclaiming the kingdom of God. What we know about John, of course, is he is the cousin of Jesus. He's the son of Elizabeth and Zechariah. He's six months older than Jesus. We know that much because um, that's what the angel Gabriel told Mary when she was told about the incarnation. And. Um, so we know that he's older than, than, than Jesus by six months. We also know that John too must have survived the massacre that Herod committed on the young males uh, after the visit of the wise men. Uh, so it's it's an interesting thing to bear that in mind as well. But John's role is very much to point of the way. That is his role. If you particularly if you look to traditional iconography of the Eastern Orthodox Church, John is generally presented as this wild haired, wild man down from the mountains, dressed probably in skins, with his hair all over the place, his beard all rugged, and um, you know, associated very much with the desert. And it's linking that in, he's, he's the, the prophets are not those, I suppose the tradition of prophets and the prophets in the Old Testament is not necessarily what we understand about prophesying for the future. The role of the prophets was to call the people back and say to them, are you listening? Are you living up to your covenanted relationship with Yahweh? And that's what John is doing. And very much his words speak to us down to the present day, which is very much to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, when we're doing this gospel reflection, I often kind of go, well, maybe we should do Godspell. You know, where they have that big um, prepare the way of the law number at the start of the way of the Lord at the number at the start of it. But John is that voice that cries in the wilderness prepare a way for the law, make his path, Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley should be filled in, every mountain and hill laid low. And it's very much, I suppose, one of those things where we are seeing the fulfillment of scripture. And I suppose asking ourselves the question, How open are we uh, to hearing that word? I suppose the question is, you know, um, John promised that the rough paths would be made smooth. But I suppose, thinking about it at the moment, what are the rough paths in our own life? And do we ever talk to Jesus about that? You know, Um, John was very much calling for a conversion of heart, metanoia. turning back to God in preparation for the arrival of the kingdom. And a radical change of heart is very much something that's needed by all of us. And, you know, we can call, we can look for changes in society. We can look for, we can say that things are going wrong. and We can say things aren't as they should be. But unless we start with ourselves and start with our own local communities, I suppose the question must be, well, then we can't expect change from others. John's, I suppose, was a radical voice urging people to open their eyes, open their hearts. Um, So I suppose the question for us is, what if we changed our hearts this Advent by reaching out and removing obstacles in front of people? You know, what if we prepared the way for Jesus by smoothing the path for others, Um, perhaps tearing down the walls of prejudice in our hearts and the walls of prejudice in society that keep people apart, even if it is only one brick at a time. You know, we are called to be, like John, that voice in the wilderness calling for and bringing about change. So as we reflect on this Sunday's Gospel, John, there's a few thoughts.
0: Shane, thanks a lot indeed for sharing those with us this morning. I'll just go out maybe with a, with a final little piece of um, a reflection there by my friend Michael Devatai. Michael says this morning, Lord, we remember a time when we were in the wilderness. Our family relationships were at the lowest level. At work, everything seemed to be going wrong. Violence and crime ruled in the country. Our prayer life was as dry as dust. Yet within the very wilderness, there was a voice within us, crying out that things would turn out all right. We felt so sure of this that even in the midst of all the desolation, We prepared a way for your coming, and made the path straight, so that we would be there to welcome you. We saw some deep valleys, and wondered how we would ever get over them, but we knew that every one of them would be filled in. There were high mountains before us. They would all be laid low. The road was winding, so that every time we turned a corner, another one appeared. It would be straightened. And as for the rough roads, roads that are sore feet and bleeding, they would become smooth as glass. We knew, we knew for sure that we would experience your salvation. Thank you, Lord. So that about brings us to the end of our podcast today. Thanks indeed, listeners, for, for joining us today. Uh, we'll do it all again next week. But for our final piece of music this morning, before we leave you, this one is entitled Come Down Long Expected Jesus. So next week, for myself for shame, again, as I said, thanks for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your Advent. Take care, and God bless for now. Bye.